0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited to get today's guest. He grew up playing for the Scarborough Titans where they won a bronze medal at Ontario Championships in his 18th new year. He played for Team Ontario. He played for our youth national team and our national team. He recently graduated from UCLA where he was a star player there and he's signed a record deal with Red Bull Records and we can't wait to hear all about it. So welcome to the show Kofi Jimma. Thanks for doing this man
1: thanks for having me
0: now you and i first met it was an ontario winter games year and you were on a team with like shawon Tariq, thomas sora we played against like jordan prayer and all these other like stacked teams did you know that your club year was pretty special like was that your first taste that you wanted to play volleyball at the next level after like a, a winter games year like that
1: that was that was literally, like the first time that i kind of realized i could i could maybe take this somewhere <laughs> it's making that
0: team now, did you think at that time that like you, Tariq, Sean, Thomas, or, like, all those guys would go on to play for the national team someday?
1: I mean, I was definitely hoping and dreaming, but it was really nice to see that come to reality.
0: Obviously, your sister played at a high level, and maybe she dragged you in, but as such an explosive athlete, what made volleyball like the sport for you that you wanted to commit to? Because I'm sure you had other options, right?
1: Well, actually, I wasn't really the athlete that I am before volleyball, so... I wasn't tall when I started. I had no verticals, so maybe like 10, literally like 10 inches. I could not jump to save my life. (laughs) Um, So I just kind of started playing because I thought it was fun, I think. And then my coach, Brian Singh from uh, Titan Nemesis, he's a a huge uh, vertical jump and explosiveness guy. That's like the guy who I,
0: I owe it all to. Nice. And did he have a big part in your development in terms of, of staying with the same club for your whole career? Cause not a lot of athletes in your era chose to do that. They kind of jumped around a little bit where you stayed with the same team. Uh, was that because of your connection to Brian or was it the teammates or was it the whole package?
1: It was kind of the whole package. Uh, I can never, I can never leave that team just because I have so many like close friends on that team and uh, Brian as well. Like me and Brian hang out to this day and all my teammates
0: Nice, nice. And when you made the jump to the provincial team, I remember Pat Johnson did a presentation at Madawaska, and he used to use an example where you guys had this Zen blocking style where you weren't going to chase in front and do some other things. So what can you tell us what you learned from the provincial team that kind of helped you climb the levels as you kept going?
1: Well, as a middle blocker, my uh, like my weakest thing that I've – like I've, I've always been like a good attacker, so what I've always had to work on is blocking. And coming out of uh, – Actually, just Team Ontario, forget which year that was, I just had super happy feet. So I was always trying to guess with my feet to, like, just guess before actually seeing the set and reading. And he taught me just about this whole Zen theory, you just chill and wait until after the set's made. And nine times out of ten, like, against most teams, I'm pretty fast to get to the pin. So... Just waiting, keep my feet in place so I can go as soon as I know. That's kind of the whole thing behind it.
0: Nice. And what's your eye work when you're waiting like that? Like you mentioned you had happy feet, and I'm sure some of our young listeners are, are experiencing the same thing. So are you a guy who likes to really get eyes on the setter early? Are you watching the pass quality where the setter is and trying to get on the hitter? Like where are you looking as the play progresses?
1: So I know there's, something, there's a big thing going around, like ball setter, ball hitter. For the work but um, Spira actually, my coach at UCLA, he, uh, he said it's ball hitters that are ball hitters. So uh, the second that the ball is passed, I look at the ball just for a split second to see the uh, like if it's a good pass or not, see if it's an overpass or not. And then I see a hitter, because as a middle, I need to know if the guy's running a front one or if he's running a three, and then I have to assess if he's running a three, do I really need to be in front of him? Like, how big of a threat is he? Um, so then, so I look at the ball to see where it's passed, and then I look at the hitter quick, and then I spend the most time on the setter's hands. Once the setter sets the ball, I'm watching the ball until it's peak, which is actually longer than most people, but that's what... Um, Sparrow said because there's a lot of information you miss as a blocker. Um by just looking at the hitter the second it leaves the set his hand. So I looked a bit more at the ball than most people and then uh, hitter at the end just to see what move I should make. But most of the time the hitters they're pretty patterns. So if you know their tendency from game planning you can you can tell based on the set where they're probably gonna hit.
0: Wow, that's that's awesome. Thank you. So for a guy like you who played at UCLA and with our national team, would there ever be matchups where you would do a commit block? Or like you said, are you just zen in the middle and kind of reading out what the passes and what the options are? Like how many different blocking styles or tactics would you guys use either with uh, Volleyball Canada or UCLA? Uh,
1: with UCLA, we have a ton of different blocking tactics. Um, like Usually the coach will call out... Like various things on the bench. But um, it's kind of rare to do a full blown commit for me. Um, the only time actually this season that I was committing a lot was uh, against and They have a middle kind of similar to me that if I don't commit, he just hits fast and he'll hit over me. So I had to commit a couple times.
0: Nice. And without. And
1: that sequence is completely different. That, you're just kind of looking at the middle block the whole time once you know that it's not going to be an open pass
0: without getting us in trouble with spraw what would be like a couple of examples you don't mind sharing with ucla like because i'm sure most people are comfortable with like a front to commit and just stay neutral but w- would you start a step closer to either wing or what would be some simple tactics that you kind of started as you grew through U- ucla
1: uh, one of spraw's main things is to switch it up so uh as a middle i like to stay neutral just because like, my tendency as a middle is to, move to stay neutral, but then if good teams notice that, they'll just start bringing in the teams, uh, running threes or back ones, or ones, depending on where the pass is. So it's important to mix it up.
0: So we've had a bunch of setters on the show, and they always brag about, like, the tactical side of volleyball and how they really enjoy that part of it, and a lot of them are really good at looking through the net. So you being a middle, do you ever notice a setter looking and then try to give them fake information or show that you're moving the wrong way and then kind of collapse the other way?
1: Yeah, sometimes, but um, most of the time I just stay like, like I said, like most of the time I actually stay pretty neutral because um, I'm pretty fast laterally, like I'm better fast laterally than I am like, just like, like get you're reading the game, I guess. So I, I kind of just stay pretty neutral most of the time and then just, just go.
0: So I'm curious about your recruiting process. And the reason I ask that is that there was a generation before you with the crush guys who, uh, Coker ended up going to the NCAA, but came home. And I think Mar, Danny and Lucas, they all had opportunities, but either didn't end up accepting or came home after a semester. So uh, for you getting an option to the NCAA, like it was still rare for Canadians to get those looks. So when did those conversations start happening? Did you initiate it or did they initiate it?
1: They initiated it. It was, um, my grade eleven year so yeah you seventeen I was on the uh Canadian youth national team so it was like the first year of that program. And then we had a tournament, the USA volleyball high performance tournament in uh Des Moines and I remember the uh no one actually talked to me but my coach Ben Josephson after said uh That a couple US coaches hit him up and one of them was, I forget who it was it was either uh, John Hawks or Brad Keller um, the assistant at the time for uh, UCLA.
0: Now did you go on any official visits? Like were you considering anyone else outside of UCLA and was was Canada ever going to be an option for you?
1: Um, I considered some schools in Canada like McMaster if I was at home I was going to go to McMaster. Um But I uh, I kind of wanted to go to the U.S. just because outside of the sport, there's like definitely advantages to going and living in another country um, of just like the experience wise. So um, and and I actually I was also doing the music thing, which kind of brought me to L.A. So at the end it was kind of UCLA or USC because I went on visits to UCLA USC. Um, BYU, Ohio, and uh, Lewis. So at the end, it was UCLA or USC.
0: Awesome. And what stood out in your mind to attend UCLA? Like you said, you're, you're a guy with a lot of interest in music, probably drew you to LA naturally, but did they kind of blow you away with the recruiting trip or you just were the most comfortable there?
1: Kind of both. I mean, the recruiting trip was amazing. Uh, uh, I loved the team, like the guys on the team. They were all super chill. Uh, and the coach for sure. That was probably the biggest factor was John Sporra and Hawks and Brad. Like they like those coaches and I wasn't wrong, those coaches are just unbelievable coaches and people. So everything else was kinda of just icing on the cake, like just it being UCLA and having uh like the international brand edge like for like acting Academics, the international brand that it has is just like icing on the cake for
0: me. Nice. And what can you tell us about the coaching staff there? Because it is pretty special. A lot of a lot of programs have good coaches who have international experience, but it's pretty rare for a current national team head coach to be at the collegiate level. Like he's won World League, he's got a medal from the Olympics, and he's also coaching a college team, right? So what can you tell us about practices there, or how they've developed you, or or just some cool tricks that coaches can steal? Because I'm sure we're all ears to hear about what Spurra Hawks and all those other guys do at practice.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like one thing that I have learned from Spraw like as a coach is he's. I think he's just working a lot harder than everyone. Like he's sometimes he's there at like five a.m. and then takes a nap in his office, just trying to like plan out. He really like coaches holistically, so even his interact every interaction with us. It's taking me four years to realize this, but it's like it's planned. He uh, wants us to like his mood. Even is planned, so everything he's doing is trying to shape us. Um, And he's super like super open and honest with us, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear because he's such an authentic guy that it's interesting that he's that organized, right? Like it's hard to walk the line of like I'm gonna be in this mood and talk to Kofi this way, but still have it be like genuine. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's insane. He does it well. So one thing Spraw's been pretty famous for with all the teams he's coached, whether he was at UCI or the national team or with UCLA, is the wicked fast back row stuff. And you got to experience some of that too and actually be kind of setting the table as the front row middle. So how often would you guys work on that in training and how did it get so fast?
1: Um, It's just kind of the way I think he's always run it. Uh, Just from the moment you get there, he's like, he explains exactly what big tempo is. So it's like his big tempo... uh, well, I guess people call it pipe, but it's a bit different. It's like faster. Uh, it's if you're right-handed, it's your left foot is down on center contact, so you're on your second last step of your approach. Oh wait, no, right foot down. Sorry, right foot down on center contact. So you're on your second last foot of your second last step of your approach.
0: Nice. And the setters, are they giving guys different heights, or it's just it's all about the speed and it's up for the hitter to connect to it
1: is definitely like a collaborative effort so it's a different set basically for each hitter so a guy like austin uh he would run it a bit higher whereas like me sometimes i just uh i was running like a bit of big last year and a bit earlier this year and i would sometimes just hit it like one ball tempo or uh like 51 or click, whatever you want to call
0: it. And how did it feel for you progressing through the program and just kind of learning new stuff? Because people who have followed you over the years, they they would know that you've hit the big, you've hit every variation of the middle. Uh, we even saw you hit a couple left side balls, depending on the rotation. So how did it feel going to practice and just keep learning this new stuff? Because it looked like Spraw wasn't afraid to try new things or things that aren't really that traditional in our sport.
1: That's the thing I love about Spraw. I mean, being as accomplished as he is, he's not afraid to... Do anything different, like he'll will try anything. He's very scientific, which is something that I really like. So it's kind of it's super fun, like practicing such like practicing more of a class than some of my classes. It's you're literally just learning things, so it's kind of like a classroom.
0: Nice, and just for our listeners who might not be familiar with the NCAA, can you just give us a quick breakdown of your schedule? Because you guys being Kind of a winter start or, or after the new year traditionally, what are you guys doing in the fall like how often are you in the gym and is that when things get really laid out with the details or is he treating it like a classroom all through the season?
1: he the way he describes it it's like a race to see you can learn the most in the shortest amount of time basically what our season is so we start learning the day we get there um it's like five six practices a week from October all the way to um January, basically, and then our season starts, and then it's definitely six days a week. So our season is super long. It goes, uh, it got cut short this year, but it goes um,
0: from January to, uh, January to May. Nice. And we had Justin Louie on the show and then I want to phrase this properly. He loves his experience. He's at Stanford right now, but uh, th- there are a few Canadian jokes that go around every once in a while. So did any of your teammates give you a hard time about being a Canadian, whether it was certain phrases or way we say things or just different lifestyle stuff that we do different than them?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. Like something that I had to adjust to just like the American way of life, because just being from Toronto and being from Scarborough, especially the, the way I talk and the way I act is completely different. From- you we'll guys, and the culture is a lot different. I mean, going to LA, probably not. North is actually a different place as well, but LA is like, LA is definitely different from Canada. So just there's a lot of adjustments to that, but uh, I feel like it makes you not a better person, but like more more in order to be able to live in both, understand both. It took me a couple of years though to fit in.
0: Nice. And what was your experience like over the years where a few Canadians have popped up? So, Justin Louis is a little bit younger than you, but I'm sure you would have been familiar with him. And then to have uh, Cole on your team this year, what's it like having a few more Canadians around?
1: I think it's super cool because it wasn't really that uh, popular for Canadians to go to the U.S. There's like some big rumor that you can't make the national team if you go to the U.S., but that's completely false. So, yeah, there's him, there's. Uh, a few Alex from Mavericks a couple years back, he's at UC Irvine. And then I got to play with Cole this year. I was telling him for the last three years from UCLA. And I don't know if he believed me, but now we see. <laughs> nice.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah. Let's pull on that. Cause I'm sure a few of our hardcore listeners have, have- kept track with all the rumors of the national team and all that stuff so did you ever feel any pressure when you showed up like obviously you're on the youth national team but for you to travel this year with our senior team like obviously that's a myth about the ncaa but w- was that part of your consideration or did you just know that you could speak to glenn or any of the other coaches and it would still be an option for you
1: i knew absolutely be an option because i like Tora, um he we addressed it on the visit that like he could be training me to play against being a national team coach. And he's like, just like the person that he is, he would never do anything to sabotage like what's in my best interest in this sport. So, um, and then, like, on top of that, him and Glenn are friends. and Him and Dan are friends, so there's no, like, there's no, like, bad blood or anything with going to the U.S. I, I think that was just, like, a myth that Maybe Ontario coaches may made
0: up. Just try to reverse recruit you and keep you here. Nice. Yeah. So, what was your time like in Gatineau? Like you're getting there, obviously. Like you're climbing the ranks. Like I mentioned, you got to play with the seniors this year. Was it kind of mind blowing to be in Gatineau, or were there a few vets or enough rookies around that you were kind of comfortable right away? Like, what was your first kind of memory from being in Gatineau?
1: My first memory is probably just warming up with. Some of the guys that I used to idolize, I still do. But these guys, like warming up with Danny from Crush, was insane. Just because I was, I was at fourteen, you kid, watching, watching him warm up, and thinking, yo, this is unbelievable. And then like warming up on the same team, competing for a position with the guys, it's ridiculous.
0: Now I've heard that like once you're in the family, like everybody treats each other really well, and it's not like a big club where the seniors only talk to the seniors. Like it, it, really is a community there. So, at what point did you start to feel comfortable? So you mentioned like seeing Danny the first day, but did you settle in pretty quickly?
1: Yeah, actually, probably once I got to the uh, the B team and started playing against the senior guys. Uh, I don't know. We all just kind of get along. There was one summer that I was training with them, so. Uh, like exclusively with them, and then we all kind of bonded just like living in nowhere, where I mean, you're just kind of like you're living in e task apartments, so everyone's kind of just together all the time. It's kind of it just promotes bonding.
0: Now, I've been there for a few meetings and some coaching stuff, and we probably had every meal at the buffet. Did the, did the players go to the buffet for every meal too in Gatineau? <laughs> in my junior year? So, when I was uh, on the junior team. Every last meal
1: was at the buffet, <laughs> and it's a great buffet, but it can get a bit, it can get a bit tiring.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that like it is, it's stacked. But I think after three days, I was like, I've had enough. I need something else here.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh but honestly, anything they just, you just get money to pay for food, so it's great. You can buy whatever you want.
0: Awesome. And what was this summer like? Because you got to play in some L matchups, right? So what was it like, kind of traveling and representing Canada on that stage?
1: It was super it was super cool uh just being able to play with the a team guys uh, and get some dNL exposure, and it was in Iran which is amazing experience it's super different
0: yeah what was the crowd like there they take their volleyball pretty seriously and they're obviously a, a good team so was it was it pretty hostile was there a lot of people there cheering against you or what was that environment like
1: they weren't cheering against us as much as they were just cheering for the other team like I don't know if that makes sense but like playing in the NCAA, there's a lot of heckling. There's people that would scream in your face, like look stuff up online, like try to attack you. These people in Iran, it was just like they would just cheer a lot when Iran made or got points. And it was super cool, amazing to see the sport in that environment.
0: Nice. And was there ever a moment where you were starstruck a little bit, like you're across the net from somebody, or was there just somebody was pretty hard to defend like usually we would brag with our guests and talk about how awesome they are but I, I do like to hear a glimpse every once in a while where maybe you were in the deep end and had to work through some stuff
1: yeah literally that whole weekend so I was uh, the first game we were losing and I got thrown in and I was blocking now against A Muth, who's just an unbelievable center. <laughs> so I'm just committing the whole time because I, I don't want to <laughs> we had good two good pin blockers and I didn't want to get burnt in the middle so he kind of had me for a bit so that was that was fun then against Russia I forget who it was but there was just some huge outsides I was still getting in touches and slow down so it was nice I hit 9 for 10 and, 9 for 10 on
0: the weekend nice nice and What's it like uh, being with the senior guys? And we've had TJ on the show a couple times. And one thing that stood out is he talks about like attitude and effort are really an option with the, with the national team right now. Like that's expected where they really want to make sure you're making the right reads and the right commitments. So how much of that is coming from Glenn and how much is that coming from the guys on the court? Like you just mentioned, you had two really good pin blockers beside you in most rotations, right? So are they sharing information and tactics or is it coming from the bench a lot of the time?
1: Um, it's mostly, I think the guys on the court, like these guys are so smart. Uh, like I remember, I was blocking beside Mark, and he's the easiest person to block beside. He literally like set up everything beautifully for you. He said, all right, we're going here. Like we're doing this, and I'm right here, like in the middle of the It's Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's beside <laughs> <laughs> people like that. And then there's Shawan, who's just a beast. Um, like they kind of just set like set it up so nicely for
0: you. Now, we just had Dre Foreman on the show, and he talked about being a libero behind Danny Demineko and Danny would intentionally leave seams or take away certain spots or do things like that. Now, was that a a style they tried to instill on you with the national team, where were you always trying to close, or would you ever kind of front the 30 and then still leave a gap afterwards if they went back? Like, what were some of the the national team tactics you picked up on?
1: It was kind of both. Like, if you can close, uh, they definitely want you to close, like... If you can't, they don't want you to reach into the team and open
0: up where you were. One thing I wanted to talk about this year was just you being around the Can-Am, and obviously that was a pretty special event, and to have UCLA there and some other top NCAA teams, I think it made the event pretty special. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, me and Mike Chumley were ready to do commentary for... I think it was you guys versus Trinity. Anyways, the DJ was playing your music, and we thought that was like the the coolest thing ever to be warming up for a high level volleyball match. There's easily a thousand people in the crowd, and the DJ's pumping your songs. So, what was that feeling like? Being at home, hearing your own songs, and kind of being at a showcase in an environment like that.
1: It was super cool. I mean, I helped like not that I helped set up the tournament, but I definitely helped bring it to like fruition. So, like I'll leave my music manager. He's the one that set it up. So. And actually, I knew the DJ. He's like, in the future, will be my tour DJ.
0: So nice. <laughs> I knew he was going to play some stuff. But yeah, no, it was super, it was super cool. Now, do you, do your teammates ever give you a hard time, or are they all feeling the music? Like at a home game at UCLA, are they pumping your songs too?
1: Yeah, they're all they're all playing it. People used to give me like a bit of a hard time, but most people just think it's cool. And now that I'm signed, and I'm actually getting paid for it, no nobody has anything to say.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. So, one thing I wanted to ask you, and just maybe for our younger listeners, is did you ever get used to, like, the the celebrity that came with your volleyball? And the reason I talk about that is, like, even when you were with Titans, there's clips of you popping up on YouTube, there's stuff going around social media, like, were you ever caught off guard by this, or were you pretty cool just to be like, wow, that's me, I'm on the internet, and this is getting a ton of views?
1: I kind of prepared myself for it without even knowing, so, like, in my 16th year, was it 16? No, my seventeen, you seventeen. I was, I just kind of started uh, treating everything different, treating my social media different, and everything. So that was, I think that was actually kind of a big part of it, just me setting up Instagram and whatnot for that. So it's kind of, not that it was expected, but I think that I was like prepared by the time that it came came around. It's super cool though. Like it's, um, it's something that like. Like I'm super grateful for it, just the fact that people
0: appreciate what I do and what I work so hard to do. Now, I think all of us would like the praise and the attention you get, but sometimes when you're that popular on social media, you're just going to get some idiots making some comments, right? So how have you dealt with either the extra attention or negativity? Like, Has it ever become a distraction or has any of like your national team coaches or UCLA ever spoke to you about it to kind of pump the brakes on it a little bit because it's getting too big?
1: Yeah, Esperanza talks about it all the time. He literally, he wanted me to get a manager for my social media so I can still grow the brand, but it doesn't have to be me listening to all the comments, which for, for volleyball, the comments aren't actually that bad for music. They get reckless, but for volleyball, the volleyball community is kind of just chill. You have the odd person saying that they'll touch higher than me, but that's, that's, it
0: doesn't me. <laughs> nice so as you finish up at ucla here looking back do you have a like a favorite moment from either your college or national team career because we'll we'll segue here into your music stuff but just to wrap up the volleyball stuff is there anything that you were like wow this is a pretty special moment whether it was playing in front of a full audience at ucla or maybe it was the can-am or some national team stuff like when you look back is there anything really special that you're really thankful for from volleyball
1: yeah, definitely playing. It, it was in my second year, UCLA, playing for the uh, playing in the national championship. Probably the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Uh, just kind of because like we balled out. I mean, we lost the game, but that team was very stacked. We could have won, but just that whole experience. It, it was amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think. As Canadians, if we want to search hard enough, we could probably find a way to watch you. But usually around nationals when it's on ESPN or you can find a password from a buddy to watch it online, it, it, it's a pretty cool vibe. So was that one of the bigger events where somebody was reaching out from home and really supporting you? Because we, we probably didn't get to follow your career as much as we would have liked to if you were maybe at U Sports or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, that one that one was like everywhere. Everyone, Literally everyone was hitting me up. Uh, I had to get rid of my phone for the game because I I was just, I was super locked in just trying to game plan as much as I could because that's it and can't really read it. So, yeah, everyone everyone was there. Like, my whole family
0: flew out and it, it was crazy, actually. And we've touched on it a little bit here. You're you're a very well-rounded guy, and you've got a lot of interest. And in, in the music thing, you've been pumping away at a while, and it's great to see you have some success. So uh, what made you decide to sign with Red Bull? Because you mentioned you and Ellie had kind of just done your own thing and been doing the independent thing. So how nice is it to have a label, or has there been a big difference in your mind?
1: It's super nice to have a label. Uh, it's it's amazing to like walk into a meeting with like 10 people who are all just – like, their job is to make me a big artist. It, like, it's, it's just unbelievable just to not be doing it all yourself. So we were, uh, we like, we had a bit of interest from a couple labels, but uh, Red Bull was definitely the one that was the coolest from a sense of, like, liking the volleyball thing and uh, kind of, like, running
0: with it not seeing it as a hindrance nice and for people who follow you or follow volley kings i'm sure they, they've heard the announcement and we're all it's kind of bittersweet it's good to support you and your music but to not see you play volleyball is going to be a bit of a challenge but i mean we get to support you in other arenas so uh, i did have one question there's there's a guy who plays for the new york rangers he used to be an ottawa senator's uh mika zibajad he's a dj and i guess he's allowed to travel and do stuff in the summer when he's not in season once you're you know maybe a little bit more comfortable with your label because it's still a new deal is that maybe something you could bring to the table that says hey i'm gonna play for the national team or i'm gonna play beach but i'm still gonna have like these schedule commitments do you think that could ever be an option for you or are you kind of comfortable going full-time music for the rest of your life here
1: i'm pretty comfortable going full-time music but it's something that like i could see myself doing uh, that's the thing with Red Bull. So I was looking at a couple of labels and the other ones, they wanted nothing to do with volleyball. They wanted me to drop at of school and then, <laughs> and then just completely do it. And so that's the thing about Red Bull, they're kind of in one show with it they see it as think, a good thing. Like they can, being Red Bull, the global brand that they are, they can market someone who's also an athlete, especially in volleyball where they sponsor a bunch of athletes already. So,
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, People may not know this about you, but you were a beach provincial team athlete, so you haven't played a lot of beach recently, but with Red Bull being so heavily into our game and with the schedule kind of being tournament-based and you kind of pick and choose, I was wondering maybe we could persuade you to play beach full-time and then still do your music thing. Obviously, the music thing would be full-time, but you could still be a beach athlete on the side, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, maybe. That was actually something I was thinking about.
0: Awesome. And hopefully everybody's, you know, checked out your music. But if they haven't, uh, I imagine this is like talking about tournament wins where they're all kind of equal. But if you wanted to turn a listener on to some of your music, what should they be looking up right now? Like, uh, do you have a song that you think would really get the volleyball community behind you? Or do you have a, I don't know, I don't want to say a favorite song because I feel like all of them, right, you put a lot of time and effort into, right? So, but if you wanted to convert some Passing Dimes listeners into your listeners, what would where should we start, I guess?
1: I'd probably start with Came Up. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's probably uh it, that's obviously the song and they got all the labels interested
0: so i think that's probably a good place to start nice and obviously it might be hard to predict your schedule right now with everything going on in the world but if everything's optimal and gets back to normal is the plan to tour is the plan to do an album or just keep pumping out songs or it, like i said if everything's going 100 percent, what would you be up to right now what are you most excited to do with your label
1: what i'm most excited to do is tour i have a bunch of music coming out like I have an EP coming out, and I already finished the follow-up album. And so, after that, probably just touring. It's already done, so now all I have to do is tour, which I I love doing. I cannot wait to get on the road, and that's the that's really the part that I can't do while I'm playing volleyball. Uh, is tour. So that's now that I'm not playing volleyball, that's that's all I'm going to be doing.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the part that makes the most sense to me. Is if you were to sign a pro deal and be committed to an Italian club for eight, nine months of the year. You can't just like take off and say, sorry, I've got a show in LA. I gotta I gotta miss these two club games. Sorry guys. Like
1: Yeah. It's
0: tough. <laughs> awesome. So one thing we like to do on the show is just tell a funny story. So obviously you've you're well established in a lot of different areas. You've played at the highest level of our sport, but I imagine some silly stuff has happened every once in a while. So do you have a a funny story you could leave our listeners with a laugh?
1: Yeah, probably just the travel is um playing at a high level, it doesn't matter what level you are on, your team is gonna play pay for the worst flights. So I remember we could even use the national team where Frank does an amazing job. Like Frank is literally like one of the best like managers. I don't know how one man manages a whole program. But coming back to Iran, I think we left on Monday and we got home on Wednesday. Fourth, Thursday. Something like that. Like, it was an insane travel day. And you're not really sleeping. And being a younger guy on the team, I was like, like I'm carrying the biggest bag. I'm carrying the table, the physio table. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm also the youngest guy on the team. So I have the worst seat. I'm sitting in between, like, uh, uh, two huge middles, probably. And I remember the flight was tough. And then we got from Iran to Turkey. Iran was actually crazy too. Like getting on the plane, like the baggage security, like you put your bag through a little X-ray scanner, but no one's watching the screen, so it's you can bring anything on the plane. And then we get to Turkey a bunch of hours later, and then we're waiting there overnight. And uh, then at six a.m., like so, we get to Turkey at maybe. Like one AM and then at six AM is our next flight. So we're there overnight for five hours. Our next flight's to Boston and then I get to Boston and I get questioned at the border a lot. Not anymore because I now have a music visa, but I didn't have a visa for music. So I got questioned so much and caused a bunch of the guys to miss their flight from Boston to Toronto. So uh I had to stay there overnight too and then finally got to Toronto and that's probably not even the craziest travel day that I've ever had There's probably been some worse
0: yeah like how does a guy like you like travel normally on an airplane I'm thinking the national team like it's cool that the vets get priority and all those tickets but I'm thinking like you're all ginormous right so what's it like traveling with those guys because if you're stuck between two middles there's got to be no room for you right
1: yeah no there's absolutely no room when you're sitting next to like I don't know like Van Berkel and like Art. <laughs> <laughs> Between them, like there's there's nothing. I was probably next to Shalon, and he's six ten. So I'm probably I'm the shortest middle.
0: I think on that team. Wow! And with yeah. UCLA, would you guys fly a lot? Just looking at your conference, like uh, obviously there's a lot of California schools, but BYU would be a flight, right?
1: Yeah, is a flight. uh There's a bunch of flights. Arizona's a flight, and then we do a bunch of East Coast stuff. This year was a ton of travel.
0: Any cool stories about bringing UCLA to Toronto? Like, were you able to show the guys around a little bit, or was your family able to get involved? Like, I imagine some of those guys haven't been to Canada, let alone Toronto, for that long, right? For you guys to come for the Can-Am. So, what was it like from their perspective to come visit your hometown?
1: So, um, I had the whole team over for dinner. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was just fun. I uh, got to bring them all to my house and uh, kind of showed them downtown on New Year's. It was super cool. <clears throat> Because, I mean, I've, I've been telling them about where I'm from for four years, but now for them to be able to see it, it's pretty
0: cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, I've, I've taken a lot of your time here. Before we let you go, you're under Red Bull Records, but can you just give us a shout out of your YouTube channel, uh, your Instagram, just anywhere that people can follow and support you and really really get behind what you're doing here?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, my YouTube channel is just Kofi, K-O-F-I. Uh, that's also my artist name on Spotify and all will like apple music like all platforms my instagram i have two kofi underscore kid uh, and jmg kofi awesome awesome thanks for taking the time man thanks for having me i appreciate it